In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. another week on the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Nasser here as we review with practical solutions to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. If you enjoy this show, don't forget to join our family by subscribing on www.thecatholictoolboxshow.com. This week, we're going straight into purgatory before we stop into heaven. So I've brought in expert on the subject, uh, Dominican Fine Head of the Dominican Order in the Australian Capital Territory, and chaplain to the Australian Catholic uh, National University, actually. Uh, Father Manes, tell us, welcome aboard. Good to see you again, George. Um, Good to see you again. We're here in purgatory in uh, Canberra at the moment. We're in lockdown, so it's a kind of a purgatory. Um, so we're certainly having a personal experience of uh, purgatory on earth. Exactly. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's very relevant that you're in Canberra at the moment. <laughs> and it's actually not as, not as not as warm as purgatory though it's, it's pretty it's only what it's seven degrees out there so yeah you guys are a little bit cooler than us at the moment and yeah it's great that we can actually see you i think we blamed last time on the devil striking <laughs> <laughs> there was a diabolical influence last time so um there here i am lord no, it was excellent. It was excellent to have you here tonight um, uh, with me to discuss the subject of purgatory and indulgences. I remember when I was actually growing up and really you, you hear in the mainstream textbook about the church and indulgences and how the church is bad to sell indulgences. And then you hear about purgatory. You're not sure, you know, when you go to Catholic school, sometimes, you know, if, if it actually exists, you know, overall, with, uh, with the way, you know, even the secular media uh, portray it. So, Father, enlighten us. What is purgatory and what are indulgences? There's a lot of misconceptions around it. So I'll start by having you uh, actually define what it is so we actually can work within that parameter. So uh, I might just read from the Catechism, which is probably an important place to start with regard to uh, purgatory. Uh, the Catechism says, all who, do, who die in God's grace and friendship but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they may undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So purgatory, the word purgatory, uh, just means a place of purification, a place of purgation um, from uh, those minor or venial sins that we've committed in our life, but also what's called the temporal punishment due to sin. 
Uh, and that's a uh, concept we don't really hear much of in the church, the notion of the temporal punishment due to sin. And the temporal punishment due to sin are those, uh, is that residue of, uh, uh, of um, sin and uh, um, the excess of, of what, we, what we do in our sinfulness uh, has to be expiated in some way. So um, just as an analogy, if I, uh, it's a, actually an analogy I use from um, Father Christopher Shara, those who know him, gave a wonderful talk at Sydney University one day on this topic. And, I um, that uh, actual talk. I was actually there. <laughs> right. So um, I may be telling you something you'd already heard, but the, the story about the person who comes into your house and breaks all the windows in your house and then says, oh, I'm sorry. And, uh, and the person says, oh, well, okay, I'm, I forgive you, but can you kind of help, you know, with the expenses of repairing my house? Uh, so that's what happens to us when we sin. We, we are forgiven those sins, but then there's this expiation, this making up that we have to do uh, afterwards, and that's what's known as the temporal punishment due to sin. So uh, our sins are forgiven, particularly in the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of confession, but there's also this temporal punishment that we need to sort of expiate uh, either here on earth or, or in purgatory, and that's what we have the... Uh, the, the existence of purgatory for the doctrine of purgatory is there to help us uh, expiate that that sin uh, that that uh, the, the remnants of sin uh, and, and the, the leftovers as it were for our listeners just to clarify so to stop you there and say okay well christ died for our sins what does that yep. actually mean the way it plays out is that he actually died for our sins and by shedding of his blood he wipes away our sins. That means we don't have to pay for it in eternity. He's basically saved us. But so that residue from the sin that we yeah. have to do our part for in penance. Yeah. So what the, the, the idea is that Christ does cleanse us of sin, both mortal and, and venial sin, but there is this expiation that we have to pay due to our sins. And, 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 uh, and so the, the, the Christ's, suffering and the merits of christ uh reconcile us to god and save us from eternal damnation for sure but then there's this this expiation that we have to uh do uh which is the sort of the the leftovers as it were uh, of of uh coming to a few a few uh, coming to a true purification and a true purity in, in heaven uh and so um in this life and 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 the next life and we, we can we can die uh, with uh, uh, being reconciled to God, but there's something extra we, we have to undergo uh, to enter into heaven. And that's, that's seen in the scriptures. So um, if we want to sort of bring the scriptures into sort of uh, talking about purgatory, uh, it's not there in a sort of a, a explicit way. It's implied. Purgatory is implied in, um, in, in the scriptures. And one of the scriptural passages that are used often to... Um, to give a little bit more understanding of purgatory is, is from the book of the Apocalypse, which says nothing impure shall enter heaven. Uh, nothing impure shall enter heaven. And that's why we have this, 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 uh, this purgatory, because it's a place of total purification uh, from sin, uh, total purification and uh, making up of the temporal punishment due to sin, but also the, the attachment to sin. Um, and so when That's we die, separate. the attachment to sin is separate from the temporal punishment due to sin. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because sometimes some people confuse, they think, well, 
the attachment due to sin and and is expiated by penance. Yep. In this, is it expiated by penance? Well, it can be expiated by penance on earth, but but the as it was, the purgatory is really a kind of a penitential place. So if we don't do our penance on earth, it's got to come back to us in the next life. And so that's why we we're, you know we are asked to do penance on on the Fridays of the year um, because uh, they help us and they assist us in 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 a sense showing that 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 desire for change, desire for purification, desire of a full um, love of God. So, so purgatory does a lot of things. It, it purifies us of those unrepented venial sins. It purifies us of, of the temporal punishment due to sin. There's that, that sort of leftover, the, uh, the re reparation we have to make for, for sin and also the attachment to sin as well. So it's a bit like I've, I've described it in, in other talks as a bit like drug rehab. Uh, you know, you're getting weaned off not only the, the drugs, but the desire for the drugs. Uh, and so it's like a detox. Um, purgatory is a detox that, so that our hearts are totally now available for God. Uh, we can't go into heaven with a kind of a um, sort of a ambivalent sort of a disposition. Uh, so, so purgatory does a number of these things. And so uh, we see particularly in the scriptures that, that nothing impure shall enter heaven, but also that um, there is the possibility of being forgiven of certain sins after death. And Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 32 says, and whosoever shall speak a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him. But he that shall speak against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world nor in the world to come, which is a sort of a pretty dire sort of uh, um, um, thing to say. But it also says that there are some sins that can be forgiven after death. And that's why purgatory is there. That it forgives those, those, those not those mortal sins, which cut us off uh, from God uh, eternally, but the, the venial sins and the, the smaller sort of uh, uh, imperfections that we, we can uh, often pass from this world with. So it's a very merciful doctrine. Um, I think a lot of people think that purgatory is something to be kind of... Um, afraid of or it's some sort of medieval invention but it's actually a merciful doctrine because it's like saying it realizes that that everyone leaves this world uh, often with with unfinished business uh, yes we've, we've gone to confession we've received that forgiveness we've been reconciled but there is that that disposition within us that needs to be uh, purified and repaired so that's what purgatory really uh, in essence does I mean, I really want to focus a little bit on the attachment due to sin. I mean, really, it's 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 that when we commit a sin, there's always that gra uh, gravitation towards it after we go back to confess. Yeah. yeah. And the more we sin of it, the more we're gravitated towards detaching the magnetic attraction to that sin. Could be the process of sanctity. Yes. Sanctification. Yeah. So the more we get, so you have someone in a state of grace. And someone like, let's say, Padre Pio, St. Anthony the Great, or your St. Charbel, the difference between the both would be that one has a greater level of sanctity, less attachment to sin, mm. less gravity, uh, gravitation towards sin. So, you know, it, it, it could be described as 
the fitness test, you know, both could be fit, but one is more shredded than the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brutally shredded. And, and that's why, I mean, uh, the, the, and, the, and the Saints demonstrate for us that um, we can, in some way, detach ourselves from sin in this life. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult path. It's a, it's a path that in, involves much uh, prayer and mortification. But it is possible in this life under God's grace. Um, the saints show us that, that it's possible. Most of us, I think, your, your average Catholic is probably not up to the game. We're flabby. We're, we're lukewarm. We're apathetic. Uh, we're, um, you know, we're lazy. Thank and you. so purgatory is actually there for the lazy ones. You know, we don't do it in this life. Well, it's got to you got to have to do it sometimes. So. Speak for yourself. You know? <laughs> George, I know you're a saint already, but uh, I'm talking about for us us mere mortals. You know? um, Holiness in the midst of our ordinary circumstances, that's what you know. many could be called to you know, uh, after the council. I think that the uh, certainly um, uh, lockdowns have made us sort of more kind of um, monastic in a way. They've given us a sort of a... Um, a, a, a situation to look inwards and and re, and, and and assess ourselves, uh, and, and I think we kind of demonstrate who we really are when we've got nothing else to do. We've got no distractions. So, well, who am I? What am I? And sometimes some of the some of the um, uh, results are not are not glowing, and we kind of time we can kind of sort of say, well, maybe I should do more prayer, a bit or a bit more mortification. So. It's interesting because the way the Desert Fathers viewed it, such as St. Anthony the Great, was that when you went into the desert, you're facing yourself. Yes, yeah. You have no distraction. Imagine a desert with no noise, barely any noise, barely any distraction. You just have nothing to bounce off but yourself. You really yeah. see yourself uh, with, with very minimal distraction. It, it, it can scare people to actually look at themselves, maybe because they don't have an interior life. And, yeah. Uh, and but I want to I want to touch on this. And uh, it, does the church define purgatory as a place, state, or condition? I think you can use any of those particular adjectives. I mean, I think you, it is. It's certainly a, a, a place, not in the sense of a of a locality that we can materially define as on earth, but it's certainly a state uh, and a, a place where uh, souls are, people are, uh, uh, where. Um, there is certainly some degree of activity going on. Um, uh, there is time in purgatory. Uh, so there's a certain type of time in purgatory because purgatory is not forever. It's not eternal. Uh, it, start, it starts and it, has, it will have a finish, will have a conclusion, um, either for personally for the, for, the, for the individual soul who, who uh, concludes his time of purification and eventually the uh, purgatory will conclude uh, after the final judgment as well. So um, at the end of time, so purgatory is not not forever. Um, it's not like heaven or hell. Excellent. I mean, I think that's that's beautifully put. And after we come back for our break, I think we'll touch a little bit more on indulgences. Sure. And buy them. You know, are they still for sale or not? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So now we'll take a break before we open our line to call in here with your questions or comments. Uh, we won't be taking any calls this week because we're all in isolation. So as you can see, I'm not in 
the studio. I'm in my studio. And uh, so we're all working from home, very COVID safe. So if you want to, uh, you can't call in with your questions. So you can just simply email at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com or simply comment EWT and Asia Pacific or Voice of Charity Facebook pages or on YouTube, we're YouTube Live. So we've, we've centralized ourselves on YouTube Live, uh, but we're remaining on EWT and Asia Pacific and Voice of Charity Facebook Live there. Or very simply, just email me at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com and we'll have Father answer it for you. So stay tuned, we'll be back shortly. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place, to be able to build our own church. So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations, so that we can forge to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavor. So we would like to, in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this, and see if God is calling you to commit to helping us with this great endeavor to build a new church for Western Sydney. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Here's where we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And we continue our discussion about purgatory. We're not, we're not quite out of purgatory yet, but, you know, we need to touch on indulgences. So we're talking about purgatory indulgences. Now we're moving on to indulgences and uh, finding out if we can still buy them. They're still for sale. Was it wrong to sell them? We continue our discussion with Father Manes Tellus, uh, superior of the Dominican Order in the Australian Catholic uh, Capital Territory. Oh, sorry. Australian Catholic Territory, <laughs> hardly. <laughs> Just imagine if there was a Catholic kingdom in Australia, Australian Catholic Territory. <laughs> I did that on purpose. You caught me there, Father. <laughs> Catholic Capital, same thing. <laughs> well, Catholic means universal. We're, we're all things to all men here. So. I'm sure Father Manes will make. Uh, We'll make it uh, the Catholic territory. <laughs> but yes, uh, we've got to get out of purgatory. We have to continue with our discussions. So, Father, what's an indulgence? We, uh, it, you know, reading a science textbook in year nine and ten, you, you have that little blurb about the Catholic Church who suppressed, uh, you, you know, Galileo Galilei and sold indulgences. And you sort of get a little bit of an impression there growing up. Uh, and no one really bothers to find out what indulgences are. They just simply use it against you in an argument in day-to-day life while the church stole indulgences. Or, but what actually is, let's fact check. You know, we're, we're in the era of fact checking. So let's fact check uh, what an indulgence actually is according to the church's teaching. Well, first of all, that the church, the notion of ch- the church ever selling indulgences is, is a point which is um, probably one of the darker periods of church history where, in fact, it was a Dominican who was in charge of selling indulgences uh, in <laughs> Germany. His name was, uh, I think his name was Spretzel or Springer or whatever. Um, uh, and he he was uh, touting these uh, indulgences for sale. Uh, that's a sin. 
to sell something that's holy or uh, a pious item or, or something is a sin. It's what's called the sin of simony, uh, to, to, to sell uh, or make a profit from um, selling something of religious value. So that's, regardless of the notion of indulgences, the actual activity itself is sinful. So um, whatever uh, situations there were at that time, uh, it was quite right that people like Luther and others kicked up a bit of a stink because it was probably not the greatest moment for the church. But what is an indulgence? An indulgence is a very interesting thing to sort of uh, contemplate because it's sort of a little bit like kind of a uh, bit of a mathematical equation sort of. Uh, so the, but it relates really to the church's ability uh, to uh, acquire and apply the, the merits of, the, of Christ, Our Lady and the Saints. So, uh, first of all, how does the church get this power to apply um, these merits? Well, first of all, our Lord gives to the apostles and to Peter uh, what's called a, the power of the keys. The power of the keys is a very uh, you know, uh, beautiful term for the church's administrative and, and discretionary power. So the church has the power uh, embodied in those two particular um, concessions to the apostles that, that our Lord gives, like when, when our Lord said, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be considered bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be considered loosed in heaven. Our Lord consigns to the apostles uh, the ability to administer and to uh, have that discretionary power over the, over the church's life. So that's the, 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 the general principle is the church does have the power to, to apply uh, and to acquire this merit and to apply it to particular uh, souls or to particular people. And so this power of the keys uh, enables um, the church to, to grant uh, these merits uh, to a particular soul or to a particular person by the person, by some other person doing uh, some pious act. Um, so it might be going on a pilgrimage, it might be giving uh, money to charity, it might be saying some particular prayer. The church can then, because that person is, has in charity done these particular works, they can then, through the church's administrative power, get the merit uh, from Christ, uh, Christ's uh, um, life and sufferings, or from Our Lady's uh, works, or from, our, from the works of the, the saints, the, the, the merits of the saints, and these can then be applied uh, either to the person themselves who, who do a particular prayer or say some particular pious um, activity, do some particular pious activities, or they can be applied uh, to the holy souls of purgatory. In the same way we can pray for people, or we can... Big, big pardon, what was that? In the same way we can pray for ourselves and sanctify ourselves or pray on behalf of other people, that grace there can be in that same mechanism of applying grace, we can offer grace and penance on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of a loved one who's passed yes. away? Yes. Yeah. So it's not so much a grace, it's the merits of, of, of Christ, Our Lady or the saints, and that merit from the what's called the treasury of the church, treasury of merit, can be applied to these particular individuals. And so originally the notion of the notion of the of, of these um, 
indulgences goes back to the early church where the church could remit uh, a particular penitential uh, length of time or, or, or a particular acts by public penitence. So in the early church, when people went to confession, they confessed publicly and they were public penitents. And the church, through the bishop, gave a uh, particular person a certain penance to, to achieve to um, to do uh, to, on account of their sins. Um, uh, might be going on a pilgrimage or something like that. Uh, but the, the person might not be able to afford a pilgrimage, so that the bishop might say, "Okay, well, instead of a pilgrimage, you can do, um, you know, uh, a month on bread and water or something, or, or or something like that." So the church has the ability to remit. Uh, 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 any kind of uh, penitent, potential act, or it can it can sort of uh, change it in any way because of this discretionary power, and so the indulgences really apply to um, the church's ability to to uh, coordinate, organize, and administer its spiritual uh, fruits or spiritual kind of credits, as it were. Okay, so basically, indulgences are like credit points, which could be used to redeem your. <laughs> a little bit like that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> against your purgatory or somebody else's purgatory. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because the church has this power to sort of remit um, uh, the penitential uh, life or, or practices, it can do so um, uh, for ourselves here on earth or for the for the holy souls in purgatory. Um, and, and so this also, this, this situation or this practice also uh, relates to the fact that the church is the body of Christ. It's 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 a it's a it's a sort of a organization which is brought together by virtue of charity. Uh, it's held together. It's a body. So one part of the body can help another part of the body. Um, so that's what's happening with regard to indulgence as well. It's, it's it's a charitable thing. It's a charitable thing to to help uh, those others in the church who maybe cannot help themselves. Um, and this applies particularly to the souls in purgatory because they cannot they cannot pray for themselves anymore. They can only pre be prayed for. They're totally passive. So the, the the indulgences that a person can acquire uh, can be applied to the holy souls in purgatory to, or to a holy soul in purgatory. Now, there's a little bit of a proviso there. Uh, we can apply that indulgence to, to a particular soul, my, my, my father or my grandfather or something, but God doesn't necessarily have to um, honour that. It's only the, the indulgence is applied by virtue of what's called intercession. Uh, God could, could say, well, no, I'm going to give that indulgence or that, that merit to some other more, more worthier soul, or he may not decide in his providence to honour it at all. Uh, so when we apply indulgences to the holy souls in purgatory, it's always done as a means of interceding for them. Uh, we leave, we leave, as it were, the supernatural uh, or the uh, the extra extra uh, ordinary um, situation to God in His own judgment, His own providence. So, um, so it's important for us to remember that when we do apply uh, these indulgences to a soul and purgatory that we do so always contingent on god's will and god's providence we can acquire certainly indulgences for ourselves uh, on earth and they can be very beneficial for us too or we can apply uh, indulgences for some other person alive 
um, as well. So um, that can be very helpful. Father, I have a question. So what's the connection between the penance which the priest prescribes in the sacrament of confession for the penitent and indulgences? Does that act as sort of an indulgence? The penance, the penance that's that's done by a person for conf after confession is a, is, a, is, a, is a certain type of expiation of the sin that's been committed. So it's a bit like that temporal punishment due to sin we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's a means of expiating in some way uh, the, the, uh, the things that we have to make up for uh, despite being forgiven. Um, but, we, but often it's not, not, not a total thing. And so an, an indulgence may help us uh, take away more of that, that sinfulness or that the remnant uh, or, or what we have to make up for uh, by um, by our sins, so the indulgence can can certainly um, assist us there. Um, the penance that we do after confession is is, is an immediate um, expiation uh, of, of those sins that we well, have committed. Not of the sin itself, because that is purchased by the blood of Christ. That forgiveness. The sin is forgiven. It's like the person saying, "I forgive you for breaking my window." Thank you. But can you help me? Can you, you know? Give me some money to help fix the windows. That's you know? right. so it's that part. That's why many people have understood that that particular Our Father or the rosary that the priest may prescribe. <laughs> Sorry. A little bit sick uh, still. Hope it's not COVID. Um, <laughs> it's not COVID. <laughs> it smells like COVID. <laughs> Might get tested. But a lot of people have understood the actual rosary or our father and three helmets that the priest gives as the actual expiation, uh, uh, the indulgence that expiates that for that particular sin. Is that the right way to understand it? Or does that do a little bit of penance for the temporal punishment due to sin for that particular, uh, uh, for that particular sin that you confessed or, or sins that you confessed? And you still need more to make up on the temporal punishment due to sin. Level. Yeah, because there's a lot of a lot of sins that we maybe commit um, that are unrepented for, like a lot of the venial sins that we just sort of gloss over. Um, from God's side, we're saying, you know, hang on a minute, you know, um, you forgot this, you forgot that. You know. So a lot of this is also is a bit of a clean up job that we're doing through the indulgences and through the, the penances that we do. We, we make up for, um, you know, those those times where we, we, we haven't been repentant for the things that we've done. Can anything uh, be an indulgence or does the church prescribe specific things? Uh, where can we find these uh, specific So there, there, there's, a, there's actually a book called the Enchiridion Indulgentiorum, which is the official catalogue of things that you can do to acquire an indulgence. So it's the um, handbook. Is that the handbook of indulgences? Yeah, sort of the handbook of indulgences. Yeah, the handbook so, of indulgences that you can. Uh, Bigger part. What was that? So that so it's like a catalogue of indulgences of what you can or can't do. Yeah, can do that. Well, you, well, the things that that would would attract an indulgence. And yet, first of all, you have to actually want to get an indulgence. You you can't just sort of accidentally get an indulgence. You've got to sort of you've got to have the intention to get the indulgence. And there's a few conditions that you need to have for gaining indulgence. The first, you've got to be baptized. You've got to be in communion with the church. Uh, so that is, you're a member of the body of Christ. And you have to be in a state of grace, at least upon the completion of the work. So you, 
you might say the rosary in a state of moral sin, uh, but you have to at least kind of get to confession fairly soon after. You've got eight days or so, either before or after uh, the action that you have to um, do. Uh, you must have the intention to gain an indulgence and you must fulfill the prescribed work at the time and in the manner by terms of the grant. So um, to fulfill the prescribed work, you know, if, if to gain the indulgence, uh, say, for instance, you can get into plenary indulgence for um, uh, being 30 minutes of adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament. We've well, got to do 30 minutes of adoration. You can't do 25 minutes. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so the... So when we do the we have to do the prescribed work as set down by the church, um, and so you can get this. You can get a plenary indulgence from uh, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament for half an hour. You can get you can get uh, a plenary indulgence from uh, uh, recite from uh, reading scripture for thirty minutes. Uh, you can get a plenary indulgence for doing the Stations of the Cross. So that's another thing that we could discuss as well. That there are two types of there are two types of indulgences. There's a plenary indulgence, and there's a, a partial indulgence. So a plenary indulgence is full remission of sin and a full, a full certainly a full remission of the temporal punishment due to sin, um, uh, and that can be uh, that's given through the plenary indulgence. And a partial indulgence gives would give some some time off that temporal punishment Judaism would shorten uh, the length of time we would have to uh, endure suffering for that temporal punishment Judaism. So an incomplete, an incompleted act which would normally uh, attract a plenary indulgence, you'd get a partial indulgence. So for instance, if you didn't do, if you intended to do 30 minutes of adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you were only, you're only able to do 20 minutes because you were called away you get a partial indulgence at least from that. So, um, so there's always there's always some some grace that you're receiving from doing those specific uh, pious works. Is George okay? <laughs> I can't hear you. There we go. There we are. We're back. George may need to get indulged, I think. Yes, um, we do have technical difficulties, everybody, because we're obviously working from home. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we're back. All right. So the, the devil is not going to win this time. Before <laughs> the video, video cut out, and now we're back. <laughs> Partial indulgence can also be done by like a variety of other prayers as well. Like even grace before meals attracts a partial indulgence. So if we always have the intention of getting indulgences, even the most, uh, uh, the smallest things that we do, the Angelus, uh, saying in grace before meals, uh, doing a litany, they attract partial indulgence. we might know is an indulgence. If we're in the state of grace, we've done our penance, and we want to do more penance to detach from those sins that we confess. Yep. It would be uh, praying a rosary in front of the Blessed Sacrament, doing these things that do more and more penance. And does that indulgence in and of itself reduce our attraction to sin? 
or is it just the time the temporal punishment due to sin only it's the temporal punishment due to sin. it doesn't it doesn't uh, take away i suppose the um um well really the effects of original sin within within us what's called concupiscence um within us we have these uh, tendencies towards um you know immoderate use of um, physical items like food and drink and sex and uh, or things like you know, avarice or envy. Uh, temporal punishment, the, uh, the indulgence doesn't get rid of that. It does get rid of the temporal punishment due to sin. When we receive a plenary indulgence, where we, we it's a total remission of the temporal punishment due to sin. Partial indulgence, uh, only a, a, a little bit of the temporal punishment due to sin, but it doesn't really get rid of our it doesn't get rid of our kind of the, the, the concupiscence or the disordered desire within us, much like going to confession. I mean, you go to confession. I mean, we go to confession. We are given the grace. Certainly we're given the graces to, to live a holy life and to live in sanctifying grace, but, uh, uh, and to be restored totally. But there is always within us, there, there, there's these, sometimes there's these, uh, the remnant of, uh, of, uh, of original sin within us, those concupiscence. Uh, that uh, attraction to sin may still always be there. That's why we go to confession. <laughs> well, you know, it might be once a week, it might be once a fortnight. We we still uh, have those dispositions within us that um, that uh, uh, make us or uh, help us to be attracted to to um, things that are not of God. Okay, so let me rephrase the okay, and correct me if I'm wrong. The mechanics of how it works. Somebody sin, obviously they're baptized, they're, they, they've been washed away from their, uh, with, through baptism from their uh, personal sin. And uh, they continue through their life. They commit one sin. They go to confession. The blood of Christ removes that sin, but then they have to pay for the temporal punishment due to sin. Yes. So there's a temporal punishment that's still attached to the sins that we commit. Okay. So Jesus forgives But we are forgiven. Because so... so the holy souls in purgatory are holy souls in the sense that they are going to heaven. Yeah. But they do need this purification because of this, this unrepented venial sin uh, and, uh, and also the, the temporal punishment that's due to the sins that they've uh, committed. There's this expiation in, in justice. Uh, we're owed that to God uh, to, to undergo. So, um, so that's what's happening. So one doesn't want to take away from the fact that when one goes to confession, they are forgiven their sins. They are forgiven their sins. They are reconciled to God. They are, uh, at that moment, um, uh, given the grace of given sanctifying grace. Uh, they are on their way to heaven. Um, they are part of God's family. But there's also there's that there's there's also that 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 temporal punishment that that we have to expiate that that that, that remnant of of the things that we still have to sort of undergo uh, because of those particular um, sins. Now, we see that particularly in Scripture as well, that even though God forgives someone, they still have to undergo some type of punishment. Um, we see this in the Old Testament, particularly, for instance, uh, King David. He committed the sin of adultery, um, but then he confessed that sin before the Lord, but the Lord then allowed for his son to die. And that was his punishment, you know. Um, and you see that, we also see that again in the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron. Uh, Moses was told to hit, hit the ground with a staff, with his staff to get water once. He did it twice, which meant that he had a kind of an ambivalence in his mind about God's promises. God punished him. 
by saying you can't enter the, the promised land. Even though he had been forgiven and, he, and Moses went in and out of the tent of meeting and was able to talk to God, uh, he still had to undergo this, this sort of reparation. So certainly there in the Old Testament, certainly there uh, in the sense that, that there, has, there has to be this uh, purification um, from the remnant of sin, or the remnant of what we've done uh, has to be made up for too. So staying on the course of the mechanics, so you go to confession, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ washes that sin in of itself. You're no longer going to inherit uh, eternal damnation, but you'll be forgiven of your sin. You're forgiven for that sin if that's your only sin. You walk out of there, okay, now you've got some paying to do for on yourself. That's with that participation with the grace of uh, the, the redemptive merits of Christ. Uh, you, you, you obviously carry out the penance that the priest prescribed that may act as, as, as expiating that temporal punishment due to sin. But then you may go and open the in, uh, the handbook of indulgences, uh, which you can, I, I believe you can get it online, the, the Catholic handbook of indulgences. Um, and then you might pick a few indulgences, carry them out, partial or plenary, wipes away your temporal punishment due to sin. And then you're clean slate again. But then anything more than that, more prayer, more penance on top of that, that adds towards sanctity, right? Where that that magnetic, sure, we, we all have concupiscence, there is temptation to sin, but the mystics, the desert fathers, compared to, let's say, us, a lot of us that you spoke about, would have different levels of attraction towards sin. So mm. maybe once you're clean slate again, more and more penance means greater sanctity. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have to we have to ask ourselves why we are doing the penance as well. The penance is not for the penance's sake. The penance is for the sake of opening ourselves up more to the love of God, uh, opening ourselves up more to His the graces that we can receive. From him. We shouldn't pay attention so much to the oh, you know, uh, you know, um, fasting for fasting's sake. Oh, I'm fasting so that I can, you know, uh, not, none of those things are worth anything except except as means to an end. Otherwise, otherwise we become what we call Pelagian in our views. So we say, well, we can we can start to earn our way by doing all these things. God will love me more, and then I deserve heaven because I've fasted, I've given alms, I've prayed. And I, actually, they're all just means to the ends of end of holiness of life. Uh, and and at the end of the day, also is the the dispositions by which we do them is, is, is a grace of God too. Um, it's God's grace that enables us to do all these things. It's not us doing them off our own bat. So we've got to be very careful when we talk about doing penances and all that sort of thing, that, that uh, the inspirations that we receive to do penance and to mortify ourselves and and to engage in any of those sorts of activities it doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It's the grace of God. So um, it's really important for us to realise that. We don't save ourselves. I think now it's time for three practical tools about how we can best make use of, of the whole theological, um, could we call it a dogma? It's, is it dogmatic, Father? Yes, it's a dogma of the church. It's been taught by the church. And the implications on our lives of temporal punishment due to sin. How can we best make use of indulgences and how can we best work on expiating, obviously, our sins, 
uh, mortal and venial, and as a result, focusing in on uh, the temple punishment of Judas sin through indulgences. How can we access it? I mean, we sort of laid it out in a mechanical way, mm. but now let's see how we can practically apply it with the right intentions in mind, so that we, yeah, we don't become Pelagian or let's say even neo Masonic. You know, where it's it's about glorifying ourselves, about yeah. doing penance, and 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 about us, and and even about treating it like a like a like a frequent flyer program. You know, yes. we build up points and then you redeem it. It's, it doesn't work that way. It's about holiness, it's about your relationship with God. How can we go about doing it in, in three practical tools? Well, I think the first thing is is to sort of um, cultivate the virtue of humility. Um, all of all of the practices that we do are, are enabled by God's grace. So we are we are not we are not. Um, our own saviors. We've got to kind of be humble and say we are always in need of God's grace so that we can do these things. So that's the first thing, cultivate the virtue of humility. Secondly, when we do think about um, uh, 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 getting an indulgence, that we have to have the intention to do so, uh, but that, we, that we, we, we carry out the practice of the, of the, for the indulgence in a way which is also up to God's grace to decide how, how it will be uh, administered and up to the grace of the church that how it be administered if it's for ourselves uh, then we have to see it as a, as a means of uh, trying to under God's grace become better um, to become holy which is our goal and that's the most important thing too so when we're doing when we're trying to get the indulgence when we're trying to fulfill the the um, prescriptions for the indulgence that we do so in a spirit of, 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 of love, spirit of charity, a spirit of hope and a spirit of faith. Um, so we don't do it in a mechanical kind of way and then we tally it all up. We do it in a spirit of, of faith, hope and charity. And lastly, um, the third thing, and I would really stress this, that we, we really should pray always and even to try, to try to acquire indulgences for the holy souls in purgatory because a part of the situation for them is that they cannot pray for themselves. They cannot merit anymore after death. Their, their wills are set in stone uh, towards God. They cannot merit. So merit, the, the idea of merit is that we have a free will, that we're able to choose something good or something better uh, that, that, that acquires uh, a reward. So... Um, we, we in this life can only can merit, but in the next life, in, in purgatory, one cannot merit. Uh, so the holy souls of purgatory are purely, are purely passive. Yep. It's important noting that those souls in purgatory, once they've, once anyone has died and has been justified and judged as going to heaven, has achieved the salvation of their soul, but our Lord says, you know, no, you you got to stop off at, you know, at the service station, aka purgatory, uh, uh, work on expiating uh, the terrible punishment due to sin, uh, any venial sins that still might be there, the actual justification through the blood of Christ. Well, the unrepentant venial sin. Yeah. Unrepentant venial sins. And or, attachment to sin. And attachment to or that, that attraction to sin. Mm. Uh, so, so once someone has died, that's all sealed. They can't do anything else for themselves. No, they and they, under, they undergo this, they, they undergo this, this suffering for all those particular things. And in, in purgatory, uh, the soul 
will be able to consider and see itself better than in this life. We will, we will truly understand uh, what we've done. And, and we'll can, be... the soul, can the soul pray for itself a rosary to get no. to heaven faster? No. So, so, so the souls in purgatory cannot pray for themselves. They can't do anything in a sense. They're a bit, they're a bit like sitting ducks. And there's even a doubt, there's a doubt about, I mean, some people say they, they're going to pray for the holy souls, pray to the holy souls in purgatory. So there's a bit of a debate in the church as to whether the holy souls can be prayed to. Uh, we can ask their intercession. Um, some say yes. St. Thomas says, says no. Um, but there certainly are novenas. I've seen novenas of the holy souls in purgatory. So uh, that's a bit of a debatable sort of question. Uh, but certainly we can do a lot for them on earth by virtue of, uh, by virtue of the being mem they're members of the body of Christ. They are part of the church. Uh, they're the church suffering. So we can we can pray for them. We offer mass for them. That's the, one of the really important things we can do for the holy souls of purgatory is to offer masses for them. Uh, and that, once again, applies those uh, the merits of Christ um, from the, the sacrifice of the mass. The merits of Christ are applied to a particular soul, and that assists them. Now, also, the souls themselves, it depends on their disposition, because... In purgatory, one uh, grows uh, in charity. One grows in the ability uh, to receive help. So the most hardened sinner, although he's forgiven at the start of his life in purgatory, may not be in a dispositional situation to receive those uh, merits or fruits of the mass as, say, someone who's a little bit more advanced. Um, so when we offer mass for a particular soul, um, uh, the merits of the mass, the fruits of the mass, uh, are given to them, uh, but they are only able to receive them insofar as they are able. It's a bit like giving medication to someone who's sick. You know, the medication may be of a certain potency, but it's up to the individual's body to react and to be able to cope with it, and to be able to uh, assimilate it to uh, help it to grow healthy again. So the, the, the soul in purgatory is a little bit like someone who's sick. So in that sense, we're, we're helping them out. Um, and also, the, when we offer mass for one particular person, it might be you know, my grandfather, um, but that helps all the souls in purgatory as well. So we, we, whenever we offer masses for the souls in purgatory, even if it's just for one person, it also helps other people too, uh, because of the of the grace of the of charity. Uh, some of the saints have said like the the the, the mass uh, for one saint is like uh, for one soul is like the sun. And since it shines on me, but also shines on everyone else. So one mass for, for a holy soul in purgatory also helps all the other souls too. So, and we remember the souls in purgatory uh, every mass. That's why we have during the mass that, that section of the mass where we pray for those who have gone before us, marked with a sign of faith. So we, we do pray for them at every mass. So that's, that's the third thing that we can do for people is offer masses and prayers for the holy souls in purgatory that's a very practical thing we, uh, and it's a demonstration of our charity too yep now we're turning to a question here we have a question emailed to, through to us from mary and mary asks what can you say about pope francis's recent comments that the ten commandments not being absolute will that redefine uh, the way we look at sin will that mean lesser time in purgatory because there's less sins considered as mortal uh, thank you very much, Mary, for your question. Well, a mortal sin, we have to look, when we think about mortal sin, we have to say whether it's 
there's objective mortal sin and there's subjective mortal sin. So you might do something that is objectively mortally sinful. I mean, some people, you know, they they'll go and you know fornicate, but they don't know it's a mortal sin um, unless they're told, and then they have to even understand the whole notion of mortal sin. So objectively, we can say there are many things that are mortally sinful, but the individual, the subject, may may not know them. And part of the understanding of mortal sin is you have to know that it's a mortal sin to commit it. Uh, you know, full knowledge, full consent of the will and grave matter, the three characteristics of mortal sin, of, of committing a mortal sin. If you, don't know your, if you don't know what you're doing is a mortal sin, it's not a mortal sin. Though it may objectively be so, uh, that the church says that fornications are mortally sinful, uh, but the person themselves may not be knowing that it's a mortal sin. What so, about um, the particular comments? What about the point? I read those comments, so I don't exactly know what, what she's referring to. I had heard something, but uh, I think we, we shouldn't attach too much importance always to every single utterance of the Holy Father. Uh, he says some things that are perhaps uh, off, off the cuff or, or not, not studied. Um, uh, so we, it's not an official pronouncement. He, he is probably talking more about the, the, the Ten Commandments can't be seen always in a sort of a purely black and white sort of way because we have to look at contexts of sin as well. Um, so, and that's why we go to confession because the priest then has to assess what we're doing. Or, or you know, a person might say, well, for instance, I might break the third commandment, you know, or the second commandment um, to um, honour the Sabbath. And I go to confession and I say, uh, bless me, Father, for I've since been a week since my last commission. I missed Mass on Sunday. Well, that's a mortal sin. And, but I might ask, well, why did you miss Mass? Are you in the habit of going to Mass? Yes, I am. Why didn't you go to Mass on Sunday? Oh, I had to look after my sick sister. Well, that changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? Yes. So, so when we're talking about the Ten Commandments, yes, they are the Ten Objective um, guidelines or, or, or prescriptions for us to live as human beings but but then uh, it, it's not like a one-size-fits-all you know what I mean there are always uh, contexts that we need to look at uh, when it comes to to sinful um, uh, situations uh, so you know, and that's why we go to confession we go to confession because the priest in confession is a judge he has to he has to adjudicate our sinfulness and we're not always the best judges in our own case um, so it's important for us to realize uh, that that when we talk about sin that we need to also have a look at well what the situation is the context uh, uh, the dynamic around it so um so I, I would i would say that's what the holy father was trying to say i don't i don't know the actual context of what he was saying it in so i can't comment thank you very much father i think you really covered the topic very well from every single angle here and I really appreciate you for being here with me during this hour. Thanks very much, George, and uh, get better. Uh, hope it's hope your cold clears up a little more. Hope uh, Nikita gives you some chicken noodle soup or something like that, or, <laughs> or the equivalent. <laughs> now you've got a wife to look, now you've got a wife to look after you, so <laughs> makes things easier. <laughs> I know she's definitely listening to you there and probably laughing at that. But thank yes, you yes. If you can leave us uh, with your blessing. Yes, the Lord be with you. With your your spirit. Spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. God bless everyone, and uh, please pray for the souls of purgatory tonight. Thank you very much. And don't forget to subscribe to the Catholic Toolbox podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.